If you've got a Bible uh, in any form, electronic or otherwise, can you turn to Hebrews 2? It's going to be another one of those tours this morning. Um, around the Bible, I mean. Uh, the, uh, it just seems to be really important to try and get a, a bigger picture of, of Scripture at the minute and not just kind of zero in on one particular verse but kind of use a jump off point and then kind of pick up the theme really my theme is similar to last week but coming at it differently is about significance <clears throat> uh, and if we just want to turn to Hebrews let's just read a couple of verses together chapter 2 we're going to read this and we're going to pray and we're going to talk at you for a bit <clears throat> I'm just going to break in on verse 8 and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, talking about Jesus, God left nothing that is not subject to him. (laughs) Hallelujah. Jesus is in charge. Yet at present, we don't see everything subject to him. You think, well, you're contradicting yourself. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So God's put everything under him. God left nothing that's not subject to him. Yet at present, we don't see everything subject to him. Uh, And let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we are kids and we're just so glad. You're so glad that we show up in your presence. Uh, We want to pray this morning that yeah, you would speak to us that there'd be nobody here who's not amazed at you today at another level and another, uh, yeah, another level of significance for every one of us, I pray. And our Father, I pray for truth to come. I pray for lies to be demolished. I pray for walls to come down in our thinking uh, and that we would, yeah, we would enjoy what we see of you and that would draw us closer to you. Lord, we just want to pray again for our friends around the city, um, our churches around the city that you love and we love, and we pray blessing and favor and fruitfulness and presence on them all over the place. God, we just, we just love when you do an amazing thing for others, and, and we want to see increase and growth, even today, all around the city. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I think the more, let's put it this way, it's a little bit of a seesaw. The smaller you think you are, the more in charge you need God to be. You're on a seesaw and you put more and more weight on one end and the other end goes up and that's how the thing works, isn't it? And if you don't think that you count for much, carry much, can affect much, you need God to be super sovereign. If you start to realize that actually you have significance, you can make a difference, then you need to park less things in sovereignty because you can carry more responsibility. Well, I thought God is sovereign. Yes, he is. He just said he is. Is in charge of everything, but as yet we don't see everything. 
It doesn't all look like he's in charge. Yeah? He is in charge, but he's not. That's confusing, right at the beginning of the message. God is, we love to celebrate, Jesus is Lord. He's sovereign over all things. Yeah, he's in charge of everything. He holds it all together by the word of his power. There's, you know, there's not, a, there's not a hair on your head that falls he doesn't know about it. There's, there's, there's not a bird that falls to the ground and he doesn't care about it. He is sovereign. Oh, it's such a place of rest for us. But actually, in his sovereignty, he's given us responsibility. And if we get the seesaw wrong, we end up putting too much into sovereignty and not enough into human responsibility. So here's one. I talked about it a bit last week. Jesus said, go and disciple nations. What a scary statement that is. He didn't say go make disciples of individuals, although that's valid and important. Don't, don't misunderstand me. He actually said change Bring whole nations into conformity, into discipleship. Influence nations. Literally, it means people groups. So every ethnos, every group of people under the sun, he commissioned those 12 or those 120 to go and completely transform cultures with the gospel. Now, if you're feeling very small, that sounds very scary. If you're feeling very weak and insignificant, you want to ditch that word and make it mean something smaller. Or you want to do what some people do, which is say, well, if God wants to reach the nations, he'll do it himself. Which is putting it into his sovereignty. Because it's scary. What a huge responsibility. I've got to change Glasgow. And I'm just little old weak, you know, me. if that's all it was yeah that would be a crazy thing to say and we we do all kinds of mental gymnastics to try and make these things mean something smaller than they really mean so the other thing we do is we we, we, the basic thing is though we like to keep ourselves small and we either make God big or the disciples amazing They were 12 amazing dudes. They could change the world, but who am I? They were as dumb as you and me. You only got to read the Gospels once to realize that these weren't necessarily the sharpest knives in the drawer. It didn't select people who already knew how the sort of corridors of power worked. He chose people who were a bit on the fringe. He chose fishermen, people who didn't qualify for senior positions in the world order as it stood in his day. Sounds familiar. Sounds like me and you. We do normal stuff. We're ordinary people. I mean, sometimes take pride in our ordinariness. Because actually, if we take too much pride in ordering us, we can then say, well, you know that amazing thing? Well, that's for special people, and I'm not special, so it doesn't apply to me. We push it off. Or we push it off on God. Say, well, I'm small, he's mighty. If he wants to reach the planet, he can do it. He'll do it himself. He'll sovereignly do something. 
just, I know it's confusing right now. Hopefully by the end, it'll be slightly less confused. <laughs> and more excited. I think, I'm aware of this in myself, there's kind of a popular Christian theology. There's populism, and actually, preparing this message, I sat down and read a, one of my systematic theologies on the sovereignty of God. You know what, I read the thing, I thought, my goodness, I don't understand this. How could I ever teach it? It's like, so, and there's two broad camps on the sovereignty of God, and there's a different ways of coming at this. Uh, and, and you kind of read this stuff and you just think, no wonder we've all made up our own version because if what Calvin said is true, you know, I need a bigger brain. Are, are you with me? But we know God's sovereign. So they mean, we know that looks like something. That's got to mean something. If he's really in charge, he's really omnipresent, he's really omnipotent, so he knows all things, can do all things. He knows the end from the beginning. Nothing's outside of his control. He's raised Jesus up to be seated with him in heavenly places. He's King of kings, Lord and lords. That's got to mean something in our daily life. And sometimes I think we get this wrong and if you get this sovereignty thing wrong, then something starts to go wrong in our behavior and our expectation. So I think a wrong view of God's in charge puts him so in charge, you know, just, I've got to be really careful with my words here, but I'm going to go for this, that we start to blame him for bad things on the planet. Every natural disaster is his fault. We do, don't we? We even write it in our insurance policies. It's nasty, it must be God. <laughs> we have a sort of everything that happens to me must be God's will, so I've got to accept it, thing starts to happen. And then if it's nasty stuff, then we think, well, because it's his God's will, that must reflect on who he is. Yeah, so you have a lot of rubbish happening in your life and God is sovereign and he's charge of all the rubbish that shows up in your life, then surely that equals God's a bit rubbish really. He's good, but when it comes to you, it looks like rubbish. His goodness is not so good for you. Do, do, do you get what I mean? Well, God's in charge, so what happens is what happens because he's in charge and lots of bad things happen and we think that reflects on who he is. Because we do what our nature is, don't we? Well, I do. You know, if we love our kids and we're good to our kids, we look after them. And actually, you run around trying to protect them from stuff. It's true, isn't it? Amen. Is this making sense? Just, just. I mean, and, and there's this kind of, I've noticed this in myself, I've noticed in other Christians, I've noticed in leaders, this kind of Christian fatalism kicks in that, well, this is my lot, this is who I am. Um, and the environment I'm in is just the environment I'm in, so whether it's credit crunch or famine or 
you know, recession or job losses or that's, well, God's just put me in this world and that's how it is and I've just got to be the nicest believer I can in the midst of the good, the bad and the ugly that's all around me. And I've got to try and navigate the holiest life in the midst of random stuff. That's how a lot of us live. It's based on our view of who's in control and what that means. And out of that comes a kind of view that prayer is kind of, you hear this said, well actually prayer does more for you than it affects God and circumstances and, you know, fatalism actually, Christian fatalism results in prayerlessness. So an over, an incorrect view of sovereignty says, well God's got it all in hand, he's decided it all already, what difference will me saying things to him make? And some of us live with that, and we know it's not right, but it's, but we kind of live with that. And, and and kind of anything good that happens is a bonus, because I don't really deserve much. And it's kind of set. We kind of accept it. And actually some theology that comes is actually, it's, it's lifted up. That, you know, learning just to accept it is actually holiness. Because we don't deserve much. This is how it goes. So we don't deserve anything to start with. We only deserve death and hell and horrible stuff. Yeah? Jesus died for us. Hallelujah. Our sins are forgiven. That's a bonus. And we didn't deserve that. So even if he gives us nothing else, we should rejoice in that. Because our sins are forgiven and we're going to heaven. Everything else is a plus. And some people get lucky and others just don't. In sovereignty, God. And we learn to accept our lot. Is this making sense? Anybody kind of feel like this some of the time? I know I do. It's kind of like, and it, it's popular theology based on a view of sovereignty that isn't quite what Jesus represented. So remember what we started with, it says he is over all things, but it doesn't look like it. So what are we supposed to do? Just accept the fact that it doesn't look like it. Is that the plan? It's crap down here. But he's in charge, ultimately it'll be glorious, so we're going to hang on till it is. Hmm. Now God is in control, and he can turn any rubbish thing for good. He's genius at taking naff things and making them amazing. But that doesn't mean that the naff thing is always his primary purpose or his original intention. You can just take the naff and make it good because he's that good. But you can have more goodness than that. You see, we get goodness because he turns rubbish things for good and we think that's as best as best as goodness gets. Yeah. We use terrible grammar. 
but you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Goodness is, rubbish happens, and he makes it good. Woohoo, he must be good. He's genius at making things that go wrong. So, you know, we, that's fine. And that's true. It's biblical. It's absolutely true. But I think Jesus showed us, what, one of the themes of the last month or so is this incredible shift that happens from the Old Testament to the New, from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And one of the reasons that Jesus, they killed Jesus is because he completely didn't fit their worldview. He challenged their religious perspective at every level. He scared them till they killed him. So Jesus had a different approach to storms. In a boat, stormy. Oh, we're going to drown, we're going to drown. You know the story, Jesus is asleep in the boat. These seasoned fishermen are all freaking out. Jesus rebukes the storm. Anybody see the problem with that statement? If God is sovereign and he makes all things happen, he's in control of all things, the wind, the waves, the weather, the grass that grows. All this is in the Bible. Isn't Jesus rebuking God? Isn't God telling God off for making a storm? Ah, that doesn't fit my popular theology of sovereignty. Jesus is actually changing things. Woo. And he's not saying the storm is good. Because he's using the same language, rebuke, choke off, like he used when he rebuked demons. Fasten your safety belts, it's going to get bumpier yet. Just think about that for a minute, it's worthy of a thought. How about this? Does all the rain we get come from God? (laughs) Just putting it out there. Could there be some demonic rain in Glasgow? There's certainly a demonic storm on the lake. Yeah, well, that was for Jesus. Well, why is, it, why is Jesus' worldview different to ours? He came to make us like him. We're not here to make him like us. We're supposed to learn to view life like him. And he got frustrated, if God can be frustrated, but he certainly got a bit ticked with the disciples who didn't get it. He kept saying to them, it's not about the bread. I can make bread. You know, they weren't, had those moments of genuine exasperation. exasperation, a holy exasperation. There we go. That's what I'm looking for. He saw all sickness as demonic and there to be healed. We've covered this a lot, but he did. He didn't say, well, you know, it's God's will. You'll learn a lot of good stuff through it and walk on. Acts 10 38, he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. The New Testament church saw sickness as demonic. 
not friendly help from a smiling father to produce greater holiness. Sovereignly allowed. Keep going. Some one of you may run out of here going, Ah! How about death? I've heard it taught that death is always victory for the Christian. <clears throat> because death, where is your sting? And Jesus that disarmed him who had the power of death, the devil, says in Hebrews 2, actually, where we read. He said, wow, so whenever a Christian dies, it's always a victory. Therefore, we should never pray for any of them to be raised from the dead. Jesus didn't see every death as a sovereign good act of God. I mean, he let Lazarus get smelly for four days. I mean, he's honking. You know, there's dead and there's extra dead. He was, he was death on steroids. He was super dead, smelly dead, rigid dead. And Jesus just says, this isn't in the plan. This came too early. Lazarus, get out of the tomb. So Lazarus gets out the tomb. That was the plan. I'm sure Lazarus did eventually die, otherwise he may be in Hope Church. <laughs> but he wasn't supposed to be dead then. Did Jesus rebuke the will of God? I don't think so. I think Jesus always walked in the will of God. There's no one will that happened out there and another will that happened in him, otherwise you've got a divided kingdom. We talked about that before. Jesus said, no kingdom divided itself will stand. So he talked about that when they accused him of using demons to cast out demons, remember? He said, that's just a stupid argument. No kingdom divided against itself will stand. So would God use God to cast out God? Hello? I don't think so. Otherwise, you, what you end up with, you, if you believe that, you're a polytheist. There is only a union, a unity of purpose and heart and will in God. He doesn't have a, two different ones at the same time. You're not setting one up for Jesus to knock it down. Do you see? <laughs> I'm teasing you, but it is true. <clears throat> You don't have to be happy, you just need to be still listening, all right? <laughs> Was the lack of lunch ever a problem for Jesus? <laughs> oh, well, do you know what? 5,000 people. Has anybody thought to bring lunch? A kid. No kid forgets his lunch. My kids wouldn't forget their lunch. They might forget all their school books, but they don't forget lunch. <laughs> Takes after his dad. I never forget lunch. Well, I don't forget that I need lunch. I might forget to take lunch. I have this sort of disconnect. Practicalities of life sometimes pass me by. 
But in a crowd of 5,000 people, only one person thought to bring lunch. That is awesomely, amazingly stupid. And Jesus says, thank you, Father. I'm thinking, thank you, Father. Thank you for one lunch. Help me, mic slipped. Uh, he didn't see it as a problem that there was no Tesco's. <clears throat> Peter said, we're supposed to pay the temple tax. Jesus puts his hand in his pocket and he hasn't got any money either. So he sends Peter to do the thing he knows what to do, which is fish. Which is how most people should pay their taxes, in my view. <laughs> is it the will of God that he's broke? No. Is it the will of God they don't get lunch? No. Remember that one, Jan. <laughs> so I'm accused of being the hobbit in the leadership team. It is true. I need to eat at regular intervals. Otherwise, my blood sugar drops and what semblance of concentration I have starts to disappear really quickly. Yeah, it's kind of a regular thing, this eating. It's the only thing I'm legalistic about. Um, <laughs> poverty, tax, lack of lunch. It just kind of rearranged the elements showed up with a drachma in a fish's mouth that paid his tax and Peter's tax. I want to pay my tax bill like that. The lack of lunch was not an inhibition to Jesus. He didn't see it as, oh, this just is how it has to be. There's no lunch, so we'll all go away. Which is kind of what I would have done, because that's what the disciples said. Well, send them away. You don't, you know, there's no obligation on you to feed these people. They've come and, I mean, for goodness sake, you've fed them great teaching. You've healed their sick. What more do they want? For goodness sake, send the ungrateful beasts away. Let them find their own lunch. And we'll share the boys' picnic. <laughs> so he didn't accept what was served up to him. Didn't accept that sick people had to stay sick. Didn't accept that storms had to stay storms. Didn't accept that lack had to stay lack. He didn't go, oh, it's just the sovereign will of God. God's in charge of everything, and it's come our way. It must be him. Let's just accept it. Absolutely not. And he modeled in himself, he modeled a biddable God. So God's first answer to you isn't always his final answer. For example, he's at the wedding, yeah, and the wine runs out, and his mom says to him, oh, do that water into wine thing. I don't know if he did it at home or not, but at some point she was like, I've got enough promises about you, it's time to deliver, son. I've had 30 years of promises, angels showing up. I've been, you know, I've had to be sort of looked at badly by society because I got pregnant. I mean, this has gone on. I lost you in the temple. And I mean, you're just, you're just out there. You're an amazing son. But it is time that everybody knows what I know. Well, it's not my time. 
She says, get the water jars. I'm telling you, it is your time. <laughs> Sovereign will of God or not bends to the mother. And maybe Jesus said he knows his relationship with the Father. He only does what the Father's doing. He only hears what the Father's saying, etc. So, you know, mom comes along and says they've run out of wine. He says, what is it, woman? Good. You know, what's that woman got to do with me? Whatever the phrase is. And so he's listening to the Father. The Father saying, well, it's not water into wine day today. Mom comes back, says, do what he says to do. Jesus says to the Father, what do I do now? He says, change your plan, son. <laughs> This woman has honor. This woman has influence. She's calling the shots. I worked it out once to turn all those jars. It was enough to keep a village drunk for a week. Why? Just because. Mom said, it's time. She had a promise and it was time it came out. It came true. It says that through this he first showed his glory. Is this making sense? Not everything that serves up to you is the will of God. Not everything that happens in the world is the will of God. Not everything that happens in your life is the will of God. Not everything that happens in your business or your body or your home, or your school, or your university, or your brain is the will of God. A wonky view of sovereignty produces passivity and resignation and fatalism and makes us feel insignificant and that all the significance is in heaven and very little of it is on earth. Remember the seesaw? Is it making sense now? Ah, go look at two more scriptures. Would you go to Matthew 11? And then we're going to go to Matthew 5. Oh, this is fun. <clears throat> Okay, this is going to work. Here we go. Matthew 11. 11, I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. We all reckon John the Baptist rocks, eh? John the Baptist is the guy that announced that Jesus was coming. He recognized Jesus at his baptism. He, he proclaimed him. He prepared the way for him. John the Baptist is one seriously cool hero in the Bible. Amen? Amen. You can all be happy about that and agree with me. Yet, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Let's say what? Okay, we're not going to have a competition who feels the least in the kingdom of heaven in this room, okay? But most of us have a day or two where we feel fairly low down the pecking order. Is that is not fair? Yeah. You're still greater than John the Baptist. 
You what? Yeah. And John the Baptist was the greatest prophet of the old order. So he bested Elijah and all those dudes. He says, none born of woman is greater than John the Baptist. Elijah was born of a woman. Are you tracking with me? Are you just look intelligent. Do you see? This is enormous. All that old covenant stuff, all those heroes, David and Elijah and Moses and all that coming through, coming through. And here's this pinnacle of a man, this John the Baptist. Jesus said, yeah, they're all amazing, but the least in the kingdom is better than them all. I'm just having a really off day. He's still better than John the Baptist. (laughs) Why? Why are you better than John the Baptist? It's not because you eat better locusts or dress weirder than him. There's nobody else on the planet like you. You live in heaven and earth at the same time. You have dual citizenship and a dual nature, just like Jesus did. Hello? They didn't have that. You do. That makes you and I more significant than them because Jesus gave us more authority. We can shift things. We can do Jesus stuff. What did he say? He said, you don't know the verse I'm going to quote, do you? You can guess. He said, if you believe in me, the works I do, you'll do. You can do Jesus stuff. And it's for every believer. Oh, it's not me. No, it is you. Every believer could do the stuff Jesus did. What do you mean? What do you mean the, the be kind to people stuff? Yeah, you can do that. You mean to be wise? Yeah, you can be wise. What about the stopping storm stuff? What about the raising the dead stuff? What about paying the tax stuff? When you've got no money to pay the tax. It could possibly happen. Why not? It's happened in the Bible. Jesus did it. He said it can happen for you. In fact, I think we need to learn to believe for supernatural provision so that we can seek first the kingdom. We spend so much time and energy on how do we feed ourselves, how do we clothe ourselves, etc., etc., and seeking the things that the Gentiles seek, that it's difficult for us to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. As Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added. So he actually the first time he sent the disciples out, he sent them out without anything. On purpose, because they had to cleanse the, cleanse the leper, heal the sick, raise the dead, proclaim the gospel and believe God for a clean shirt and something to eat. Wow. Okay, turn with me and we'll we'll sort of blast scripture. We have incredible significance on this planet. 
so significant was the work that Jesus did in the disciples was that he could turn to them at the end and say you are going to disciple nations and then the spirit comes on them and that's what they go and do and you get these little phrases in Acts the men who turn the world upside down are here as well now you'd expect there to be hundreds of them there's three Hello. You're significant. You can move God. You can change your environment. You don't have to accept what's going down in your business. Matthew, love your enemies. We've quoted this a lot. Verse 43. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, which it was said in Deuteronomy 24.1. in the Bible. No, sorry, Leviticus. One of those. Uh, Leviticus. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Isn't that so straightforward? I like the simplicity of that command. And it's in the Bible. Woohoo! But Jesus said, But I tell you, love your enemies. Oh, darn. Can't hate anybody anymore. And pray for those that persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. But, Father, you killed people in the Old Testament. Yeah, but that's Old Covenant. Old Revelation. The new revelation of the Father is he loves people. To life. Same father, fresh revelation, new day, new era. That the father makes the sun rise on the evil and the good, ooh, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So you can't guess by the weather whether you're righteous or unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Uh, uh, and so on (laughs) I wonder if it's not our job to pray for all our friends in the world who are doing maybe horrible things and maybe deserve everything they're getting but actually our job is to pray that they would get blessed yeah, but how are they going to find out that they need God if they get blessed? Doesn't things need to get worse for them so that they turn before they burn? <laughs> well, this is telling me that the people that persecute us and hate us and don't get it and are atheists, our job is to pray for them. Not God bless them with a lightning bolt. Because our Father sends good stuff on bad people. And we're to pray for good stuff on bad people. Well, you know, all those famines in Africa, they deserve it. You know, all the witch doctors and animism and, you know, those strange people of another faith who, you know, shoot their own people. Well, they deserve what's coming to them. Whoa. No, we could. Why don't we pray for rain and the Horn of Africa? As well as send food and help. 
Calm storm, pray for rain. You know, not all the weather system is from heaven. Just a thought. We just kind of go along, yeah, well, that's how it is. So we're sending them lots of money, and maybe they deserve a bit of famine. That'll learn them a lesson or something. Like that. That's not how the Father works. You don't get what you deserve. We didn't. I don't. Thank God. Well, life would be much worse than it is. I know that's not a real word. <laughs> so, okay, you're in a business. They're laying people off. You think, yeah, I know the MD. He's a nutter. I mean, he's been, he's been making money on the side. He's had three affairs since I've been working here. You know, if he was more righteous, then maybe we'd have more success. Why don't you pray for the business to succeed? You can change it. You can change it. Because you're significant. Your prayers get answered. You change the environment you're in. It doesn't mold you. You can change it. God's given you authority to ask him to do stuff. To turn the water that's in your business into wine. To change the weather. Please God. (laughs) To move mountains. I mean, Jesus was so outrageous with this. He gave the... He gave these huge blank check statements to the disciples. He said, said, you know what, here's a mountain. If you really believe in your heart that you can do this, then you can say to this mountain and it's going to be thrown into the sea. And we've messed with that passage. We said, well, which mountain was it? And was it metaphorical about the religion of the day? And blah, 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 blah. What happens? You know, surely it would be ecologically disastrous if you moved a mountain into the sea. What about, what about sea levels? You've just talked yourself out of a miracle. I believe it means what it says. Jesus said, if you speak to a mountain, you can move it if you believe it. I haven't done it yet. But it'd be fun to try. <laughs> Isn't that an outrageous thing to say? You could change the topography of your nation by faith. You have to redraw the map. No more Ben Nevis. Where did you put it? Oh, somewhere in the Atlantic. You know, it's a boring hill, really. But are you getting this? We don't have to accept the status quo. We don't have to accept the sin around us. We don't accept the collapse. Let's pray for blessing on Glasgow that it, gets, it runs against the trend of the recession. That's our job. No one else is going to do that. We have authority to change it. Let's do them good. Let's play good things on people that don't even think good things about us that's what Jesus is saying then I think they might start asking the questions we're longing for them to ask because the Bible says taste and see that the Lord is judgmental and vindictive on all sinners (laughs) 
says a nasty God leads people to repentance. Don't strike me down, Lord. I know it's not in the book. <laughs> it says the goodness of God leads people to repentance. Let's do good. Let's pray for good things to happen to bad people. That'll freak them out. That's the kingdom of God coming. Because that's giving away what God gave to you and me. We weren't good people. We didn't deserve what we have. So why do we suddenly become all religious and think everybody else has to deserve something good before they get it? Hello. We are so significant that we can pray a blessing on this city and this nation and things can change. We are so significant that we could change the schools, the businesses, the colleges and universities, the streets where we live, by who we are, what we pray, it doesn't have to stay the way it is. It's not all just sovereignly fixed and too bad. There's a lot of stuff that's happening that isn't from heaven, it's from hell. And we're the ones given the responsibility by heaven to fix it. So our job, we don't see all things under Jesus' feet yet. But the most quoted verse in the New Testament of the Old Testament is Psalm 110. It says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The job of the church is to subdue the remaining enemies of God and bring them to a place where they are under his feet. We have great significance, great authority, and great purpose. But we need to have a break in our mindset, which is a mindset of acceptance to a mindset of change, of revolution, of, of, of significance that means we can see things shift in the places that we live and work and the people that we live and work with. It's not all up to God. Remember the seesaw? In a sense it is, but actually what he said is, it is up to me, but I'm going to involve you. It, it's up to me through you. I've made you so significant, you can move my hand, move my heart. So significant that it's going to look like you. It looked to you at times like you're doing it, but it's always going to be really me. That's where we have to learn to keep reflecting the glory back to him. Because you, know, you pray for a sick person, it's you that prayed. And they got well. You know, oh, it wasn't me. It was the Lord. No, it was you. Jesus would have been better. <laughs> uh, do, do, do you see what I mean? It was you, and it's going to look like you more and more and more. And then when people say, why, why does it change around here? Why are people getting healed around here? Why is our business doing better when everybody's going down? Why, why is this all changing? It's said, well, because I prayed. Well, why are you so special? Well, actually, I'm not. But I do know God, and he's changed me, and he's called me to bless my nation, and I'm here to bless you. What can he do for you? Taste and see that, that God is good. We're here to give the world a sample of goodness, and then they're going to come back for more. Uh, So God is sovereign over everything. 
but not everything that happens is the will of God. He can take anything that happens and make it good in our lives and even in the world, but he has a higher agenda, which is that you and I, the church of the living God, display his glory, display his multifaceted glory to principalities and powers by taking the authorities given us and starting to change the world that we live in. It's scary, but he's given us the equipment. And that's another reason why we need to keep coming back to him, to be filled, to remember who we are, to have our minds changed, etc., etc., because this is so not like church used to be. It's so not like often how I've been taught to be. But we are greater than John the Baptist because we've been, we have a dual nature and we've been in authority to change things. Hee hee. How about that? That's amazing. Should we just stand and, and pray? I'd really like to pray for our city. Um, I'd like to pray for the Horn of Africa. <clears throat> Why don't we pray? Can we pray for Glasgow? That in you know once again the markets are in turmoil. There's talk of a fresh, you know, double-dip recession. Blah, 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 blah. Why don't we pray for our city that it would prosper? Whatever. Can, can we do that? Why don't we just, let's just, a few of us shout that out. Let's pray for the good stuff to happen in bad times and to bad people. Come on, let's, let's a few of us pray this out, Lord. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat>